This is Soccer with Coach Mark Davis. Had the amazing opportunity to interview Marcella Balboa today. Current Developmental Academy coach for the Colorado Rapids U18s, U19s. Uh, Marcella Balboa had a, 127 appearances for our men's national team. Was the former men's national team captain. And just an absolute great guy. Uh, I've known Marcelo Balboa since 2016. Every single time I speak to him, he has been an absolute class act. He's helped me land several big-time players from his academy program. And I hope you really enjoy this podcast. I think uh, you'll learn and get a greater respect for Marcelo Balboa and all he accomplished in his career. Hello, how you doing, man? Mark Davis. Hey, buddy, how are you? I'm so good, dude. Thanks for thank you so much for st- stepping on for this for me. I really appreciate it. Uh, no problem, anytime. All right, we'll dive right into it, dude. Um, so first and foremost, this is a huge opportunity for me. Uh, my very first professional game I ever attended was in 1996 at the Rose Bowl, Rapids versus Galaxy. Uh, I was waiting at the tunnel grabbed my hand, talked to me a little bit. Ever since then, I've been a massive fan of yours, you know, watching you throughout the MLS career, 2000 goal of the year, playing in the 94 World Cup, all those things. So, you know, I just want to say thank you, and, and just this is a huge opportunity for me. Uh, man, no problem. I appreciate it. No problem at all. So tell us tell us about your opportunity right now, currently as the under-19s, under-18s developmental coach for the, for the Rapids. Um, you know, it's, 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 uh, it, it came along all of a sudden. I am the U14 DA coach, and uh, unfortunately, um, our U19 coach got released last year. They asked me to, to fill in, and uh, ever since then, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have the U19s. It's been a blessing. Uh, they challenge you, but in a good way, and it makes me... Uh, a better coach because of the challenges that you have because you're training kids now that are hoping to be professionals in the next year to two years with homegrown, maybe going to college and coming back. So um, it, it's been it's been a blessing for me. What's the what's a major difference between players nowadays than from when you played? Um, you know, I, I don't know if there's there, the, the biggest. I think if you look at differences, probably technically they're they're a little better now, stronger, faster, with all of the uh, uh, sports science and the way they train them, the way they're able to check their heart monitors and see their workload. So I think the difference has been the sports science is is tremendously helped these kids. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster. You know, Lexi and myself were some of the bigger guys when we played and now we would be probably average a little bit below average on height so uh, i think the fact that there that our da academies we didn't have da academies we had odp there's a lot of advantages these these young men have the usl uh league one two and three where they can play um just just a lot of little advantage but i think the the, the biggest thing is technically they're uh they're a little better than we were back in the old day yeah. Talk to me about, uh, you know, the 1994 World Cup and how special that was to play in front of, 
your home country, playing the Rose Bowl against Columbia, all, all, just some of your highlights of of that tournament? Um, God, you know, there was the, the whole month was a highlight, let's be honest for us. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think the highlight, uh, a few things, is one, beating Columbia. You know, no one really expected us to beat Columbia. The previous matches we've had over the last three years, we have never beat them. Um, they've, they've pretty much taken it to us pretty easily. Um, that was huge, being able to beat them and get into the next round. Being able to play uh, the very first game in an indoor at Detroit Stadium when we played there um, against Switzerland, that was something special. So there's a lot of little, you know, the way the, way the country kind of uh, embraced us, embraced soccer, wasn't really sure what soccer was at that time people were very curious to see what soccer was and what the u.s could do because we were uh expectations fell really really short in the 90 world cup and uh, people were curious why the united states why are they hosting they're not a soccer country so i think just watching the way people turned and the way people started looking at soccer here in the united states differently was was a huge plus so talk to me about uh, your bicycle kick uh, and what that would have done for your career if that bicycle kick went in. <laughs> you know what? I couldn't tell you what it would, would have done for my <laughs> career or not. Uh, I really don't care, to be honest with you. Um, when you get an opportunity to hit a bike like that, um, you want it to go in, but to this day, to this day, I still have people walk up to me and tell me that they were there at the stadium and how close the bicycle kick. I've never seen people remember a missed goal as much as they remember that in 94. And I think more than anything, if, if it would have been a Brazilian or an Italian or somebody else, they probably would have let it go. But being an American, I think that surprised a lot of people that an American would even consider trying that at the time. So, but, uh, you know, I wish it would have gone in. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, I got it uh, I got it a few years later in 2000 uh, in Columbus. So I'm happy. Goal of the year. Goal of the year. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, well, maybe here's the only difference. Maybe I would have got like a Harley Davidson sponsorship. Which, so I love Harley. So maybe I would have got a bicycle that way. You know what I mean? That's about it. Amazing. Um, now, being the captain of the national team, when they when they asked you to be the captain, um, how was that for you? I mean, what what were some of your emotions? What were some of your thoughts? Um, you know, anytime you can be considered um, a leader uh, on your team and you wear the band, and, and it's an honor. It's first, it's just an honor to put on the United States jersey. And, and represent your country, but to be able to be named captain and to wear that band and know that you have the respect of your own teammates because that's when, when we were doing it. Uh, it was a coach's decision, but it was also a player's decision. So it meant a lot because if you look at throughout the history of captains, you know, the United States had from Ricky Davis, Hugo Perez, Tony Miola, you know what I mean? You can keep going down the list. There, there's a pretty big uh, names on that list, Walter Farr, all those guys. So to be able to be put myself in that uh, in a crucial time in U.S. soccer was, was an honor. That's awesome. Thank you. Few people know this about you, but you 
played junior college at Cerritos College. Walk us through your junior college days and your San Diego State college days. Um, you know what? I, people, it's funny how people just remember San Diego State. Uh, I struggled. I struggled in school because of my mom and dad came to this country from Argentina. We spoke Spanish. Everybody spoke English. So it took me a long time to, to adjust to speaking more English than Spanish. So little by little, uh, I completely lost. Spanish. I had to go back and relearn Spanish, so it was difficult. So I did not have the grades to go into university. Um, I had to go to Cerritos Junior College, which was a blessing. It, it taught me a few things of how to study. It taught me that there was a gave me a place to play. With that, I was able to play in the 87 Youth World Cup for the United States. But, uh, you know, it was, it was people think, no, if you go to junior college, your career's done. It's not. It's not. I played against Jeff Hooker, who played for the United States National Team, then went to UCLA. So, you know what I mean? So there, there, there's a path for everybody, and I think that's the important thing. Not everybody's path is going to be the same. Mine was not high school to a four-year college, then to professional soccer. Mine was junior college, the under-20s, and then I went to a four-year college at San Diego State. And San Diego State, I tell you what, uh, to be able to play – uh, guys, guys, they were there with Kyle Wittemore, Jeff Betts. My roommate was Eric Winalda. So to have a, another player uh, that was on the national team that we were both kind of working together uh, was a blessing too. And then from there, you know, at the right place at the right time, um, you get chosen. The under-20 sees you from the under-20s. The first team sees you play a little bit and calls you in. At that time, they had a U.S. national team B team for all the young college players, which would be like the Olympic team now. And we got to play a bunch of games and all the experiences I got. But uh, I think the important thing for kids is if you do not make it to a the university you want, junior college is, is a path for everybody has to be. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying I've made it through this and that. I had to go to junior college in order to go to university in order to get to the national team, and that was my path. Yeah, and uh, you know we've we that's how we know each other is through me working at Salt Lake Community College and and yeah. continue to yeah. send me, you know I've had six or seven of uh, Rapids boys come through my program and and we're able to move them on and and it's been it's been great. Um, in two thousand five, yeah, let's get a couple more. Um, in two thousand five, when you were inducted into the Soccer Hall of Fame, um, you know you talked a little bit about your dad. And just, just, I don't know, just that things for me, that would be the pinnacle of a career, you know, just to be recognized with the names that you were recognized as well. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, just leading up to that day, how special that was for you. Uh, you know, when you, when you, when you play professional soccer at a young age, all you want to do is make money and play soccer. You know what I mean? And as you grow and you develop and you keep playing, the longer you play, you, you figure out you want to leave some sort of history, some sort of impact. So when your grandkids, you know, when my kids, you know, their grandkids and their grandkids, hey, grandpa, grandpa, great-grandpa was an ex-professional. So I wanted to make sure I left a legacy. I wanted to leave a mark in soccer. And uh, I've been blessed to be able I've gone through ACL, ACL surgery. I've gone through three meniscus. I've gone through an ankle. 
I've gone through a left side of my face was fractured and went through reconstructive surgery there. I had two sports hernia and groin surgery. So, you know, to say that, uh, that I, I was able to finish out my career, get inducted into the Hall of Fame, you know, and I couldn't have done any of that without, first of all, my mom and my dad, because they were there every day, and my brother uh, supporting me, the, my wife and my kids that were there. But to be, be inducted with guys like Tab Ramos, John Hart, Hank Steinbrecher, and my roommate and my best friend in the world, who's like a second father to me, a mentor with Fernando Clavijo, was something I'll never forget. That's awesome. Um, just two more questions for you, Cello. Um, what advice, and you, you, I feel like you've given advice, but just what advice do you have for young players, players, players looking to get into college, players looking to get a pro contract, wherever they may be, what general advice would you have for them? You know, I, I would say like anything else, they got to work hard. You got to, if you want something, you got to work hard. You can't say you want something and you talk about it, but you're not willing to make the sacrifices for it. You know, making and playing Xbox isn't sacrificing. Going out at 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night on a Friday night when you have a midday game or one o'clock game, that's not sacrificing. You know what I mean? If you want something, you got to work hard. And not listen, not everybody's path is going to be the same path. Some guys may go straight. Like here, we've got a young man in Cole Bassett that went from my U19 team last year straight into the first team he signed a contract to another guy like Matt Hundley who went to college for a year. Now he's back, and now he signed a professional contract. So – if you want something, you got to work for it. And it may not come right away, but that doesn't mean you give up. You give up. I've learned that you give up when you die. That's when you give up in life because you have your body it gives up. Besides that, if you want something, work hard every day. Don't go to the park and just kick the ball into the goal and say that's training, that's juggling, that's dribbling, that's cutting, everything at game speed. So you've got to make the sacrifices in order to get to the end result. And, and same question for coaches. Uh, you know, a coach that's just looking to advance their career. Uh, I would imagine a lot of the same, a lot of the same uh, answers. But what would you do? What what advice would you give for coaches? You know, I think that's different because we've seen in the coaching world that it's, it's really strange. You've seen guys who just retire, who have been giving opportunities to coaching MLS. Guys that just retire that have been given college jobs. So. I think in the coaching world, it's a little different, you know what I mean? Um, but there's always the, the steps that you have to take, you know, uh, getting your licenses is first of all, uh, getting yourself in a good program, staying humble. I think that's always important. You, you see a lot of coaches sometimes that get the, the into, that, into that space where they think they know everything and there's so much to learn. You know, it's easy to be negative with other coaches. Oh, look at the way he's doing that drill. That's not, everybody does a drill and adapts it to the way they're comfortable doing it. Be yourself. Be confident. But get your licenses. Because without your licenses in this country, you're probably not going to get an opportunity to go anywhere. Yeah, that's big time. Uh, Chella, you have no idea how uh, much I appreciate this. Uh, I think this has been an awesome interview. Thank you for your time, and, and just I can't wait to chat with you more. 
Anytime, my friend. You have my number. Anytime we can chat soccer, just chat life. Okay, bro. Hey, all the best to you, man. You too, bro. All right. Bye. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel at Coach Mark Davis and in the Instagram, Coach Mark Davis 11. This is Soccer with Coach Mark Davis. This is Mark Davis again with Johnny Larson, part two talking about how you get recruited to play college soccer. This was our first podcast about a month and a half ago, and it's by far been our most listened to podcast. Uh, significantly more hits on this podcast than any of our others. So we want to do a part two and talk a little bit more about kind of techniques and, and the how and the what's and the where's and the wins. And uh, like always, got Johnny Larson here with me. Great to be in with you, Coach. Um, so I just think we should just dive right into uh, some questions that, uh, I mean, we both kind of thought of could really help um, some athletes looking to take their athletics to the next level. Um, so for you, uh, I just wanted to talk about highlight videos. So what makes a good highlight video? Yeah, I think short, quality, uh, I like a little music. Can they beat a player on one v one? Can you know? Can can they clip in a long ball? Um, you know? Can they can they they clip in a nice cross? Can they can they defend in tackles? You know? Can they transition in recovery? Start with your best clip. I think grab grab the attention of the club, uh, of the of the coach. So if you got a 45-yard banger, that's that's the first one it needs to be. You know, being at a junior college, a lot of our kids, we film all of our stuff. A lot of our players here are constantly making highlight videos for themselves to try to move on to an NCAA Division II, NCAA Division I program. And uh, we kind of walk them through it and just say, hey, make your first four clips your best clips. If that's a, if that's a tackle, if that's Whatever that may be, let's make that be your very first thing. And then if the quality's not there, don't post it. So if you have your mom is filming something at ground level with her, you know, her iPhone 3, like Johnny Larson has an iPhone 3, um, yeah, it's probably not best to post it even if it's because the quality's not there, even if you're doing good things. You know, make sure, try to get a high pod. Try to try to get it from elevation. Film a lot of your games. Film your sessions. Film everything, and then go through it. And you know, this is a part of the process. Making sure that you get uh, the best three to four minute film possible to grab coaches' attention. Great. Um, I think one thing just to add to that, coach, uh, is. I think it's very important to try to point out who you are in the clip. There's nothing more frustrating as a coach when you're getting out of this highlight clip and you're trying to figure out who the kid is that you're, you're supposed to be watching for. And uh, that can just help make it just a little bit more professional and easier on the coaching aspect. Anyone listening to this, uh, email me at mark.davis at slcc.edu or DM me on Instagram. 
I can send you some great examples of players with great highlight films, highlight uh, clips, and I can show you very, very poor highlight clips. Um, I don't think it cost a uh, million dollars to get this done. You know, we got a $400 camera, and you know we have you know a $2,000 high pod. Well, if you can't invest in that, I think you know you, you tape a GoPro up on a stick, or you you know you get something like that. You can get the footage that you need. It just needs to be from, in my opinion, it needs to be from higher up, if at all possible. Perfect. Um, and so moving away from there, but kind of still there, um, with your emails, like obviously, uh, like reaching out to a coach is super important. Otherwise you're never going to get recruited. Um, what should be in your first email that you send to a coach? Yeah, we have a couple of bullet points up here on the whiteboard here. Um, first and foremost, it needs to sound professional. Uh, don't be casual in that email, but also it can't be too long. Coaches don't. Coaches are not going to have the time to go through and read a seven-minute email that takes forever. I mean, let, let it be quick. Let them know where, you, who you are, what high school you go to, what club team you play for, what year do you graduate, what your GPA is, and what position you are. Very quickly. Um, find coaches' email. Don't just email the head coach. There's some. There's some head coaches that don't do a lot of the recruiting. Sometimes it's the associate head coach. Sometimes it's the assistant coach. Sometimes grad assistants have a lot to do with um, recruiting. Personalize it to the coach as well. Let the coach know that you know a little bit about their program. Hey, congratulations on a great season and a, and a conference championship or whatever. I think that's important. Game schedule, tournaments, uh, and then always just say thank you and be persistent. And that's something we'll talk about as well. Uh, but make it simple, make it clean, make it clear. Don't give too much information. Just let them know, I would love to attend your university or college. And then follow up, follow up, follow up. Because there are so many kids that I can tell you from my seven years of being a head coach at the university level and at the junior college level, that I've picked kids up due to persistence. Perfect. Um, and do you think that like, the email should be the first way of contacting the coach? Or do you think there's other ways that are effective as well? Yeah, I think, I think an email is probably best to start with things off. If you get no response, send them another email. Send her another email. What does it hurt you, the student athlete, if you send four or five emails. It doesn't hurt you. So you might as well send a couple emails and just get after it. Yeah, and just like a uh, side note to that, like I know Coach's schedule pretty well right now, and like he can get really, really busy. And like if you're emailing like every other week, that's totally fine. Like you you need to to hear the, the yes or the no. Like that's the, the point of reaching out to a coach. Um, in an email coach, is it important, you think, to ask how to get recruited? Or is that something that you think is just not necessary? I don't quite understand the question in regards to is it okay to get recruited. 
or how to get recruited? Like, so in my email, I say, hey, coach, I'm very interested in your program, and I'd love to be a part of it. How can I get recruited? Yeah, I think that's actually, to be fair, that's, that's a good question. Most coaches are probably going to have a follow-up and say, come to my ID camp. I think that's going to be something that a lot of coaches are going to come back to is, you know, they, they want to see you inside that environment. They want to see you inside your environment. And if you're lucky enough, you do well at an ID camp, you may get invited to come in to go on an official visit or something, something more to that regard. So I think that's a fair question. Um, that's a question I wouldn't use all the time. I think there needs to be rapport between the, the student athlete and that coach, that potential head coach of that university or college before you can just say, hey, well, I want to be recruited. How do I go about it? But I think being up front is, you know, what do they say? You know, if you're bold, good fortune comes to the bold. So, you know, I think that's something that, you know, if you are that way in recruiting, you, you might be able to get yeses quicker and noes quicker. Perfect. Um, can you expound a little on uh, what an ID camp is and maybe how a, a student athlete could use it to their advantage rather than just kind of walking into it? Yeah, an ID camp generally stands for identification. Uh, so the coaches are grabbing. So right now, you know, you have OOs, 2000s, 2001s, 2002s, 2003s, uh, potentially even 2004s going to ID camps. So usually high school-aged players go to these ID camps and they are basically there to perform in front of the coach. They're doing, all coaches run ID camps differently. So in, in the ID camps that we run here at Salt Lake Community College, we try to run them as if it's, a, it's, a, it's an actual training session. So we run it through, you know, we generally run a four-stage training session you know, where we start small and then we get bigger, bigger, bigger with a topic and we end with the game. Uh, the only difference is that our identification camps, we play a little bit more potentially in stage three and stage four. We get there a little bit quicker because that's the game and we want to see how the kids do in that game performance. But it, it's, it's just a way that coaches can see you in their environment. And I think they're absolutely necessary, especially if you, the student athlete, are recruiting the college. This is as much that that the student athlete needs to be recruiting the college as much as it is the coach recruiting the student athlete. Maybe even more so towards the student athlete to the college. Because on any standard soccer program across the United States, there's maybe one or two full-time guys on staff. It's very seldom even some a lot of Division 1 programs are not capped out on the men's and women's side when it comes to full-time NCAA staff members on a staff. Great. Uh, I know before in the first podcast that we did, uh, we talked about putting all your eggs in one basket. Now I want to kind of take a different approach. Um, if I have a, a list of colleges that are interesting to me and those are the ones that I'm looking to play at, um, is there an order that you think I should go or should like say I want to go play for BYU, UVU, the U, should I contact those coaches like first or last or what do you think? I, I, I think you should put yourself out there as much as possible. 
So say you have 10 schools you're interested in, I would make that list 45 schools that you're interested in because options are power. And you could get, you could say, hey, I'm interested in these 10 schools because that's all you know. So say you grow up in a city and you only know the 10 schools close to you. Well, that's all you know. So you should really try to broaden your horizons and push to know more and try to dive into conferences. So you like a you like a program. Well, look at their schedule. Who did they play? And who do those play? Who do those teams play? And then that could that could pick this really small narrowed down group of five colleges, universities into now 45 colleges and universities by going through their website and looking at schedules. Like I said, people focus more on what iPhone they should buy. The the new iPhone or new phone they want to buy more than what where they want to go to to, uni- to the university or where they want to play college. You got to put time, you got to put effort. You got to put a lot of research into schedules and and start thinking potentially like a college coach and really diving into, you know, how much does a college coach spend looking and understanding other other conferences in either even different divisions. I mean, I am a strong believer, you know, if you can make yourself more knowledgeable in different conferences and different schedules, that will really help you get more options. Great. Um, and so if I, in my list of schools, one of the coaches reaches out to me and is like, hey, I'm very interested in you. I think this would be a good fit. Um, up until I sign, should I just kind of like jump on board with that one coach or should I keep going on with the process? It really depends on what your goals are. If, if that's your dream school and you feel like they're going to make you a great offer, I would stay. I would say stay with that coach. It really depends on if that's not your dream offer and that's not what you want, then I would continue to maybe email and, and uh, you know, send messages and try to use your connections in the, in the club world or in the high school world or, or people that are going to be willing to pick up the phone for you and make a call for you. But it really just all depends on what you're looking for and what you're looking to get out of your, you know, next four years or next two years of your college experience. So I just got two more questions left. Um, so first one, what resources should I or could I be using that maybe I, I'm not aware of as a, a student athlete? Oh, man. The internet, I think. I mean, most 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 moms, dads, student athletes are not using the internet. You know, I don't think some of these recruiting sites and different things. You know, they cost a a lot of money, and they don't necessarily help student athletes all that much. I think they 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 cost a lot, but you can literally say, okay. I'm interested in these 10 schools. Look at their schedules. That could turn into 30 schools very quickly. So, okay, I'm interested in this school, NCAA Division II program in Oregon. Okay, great. Let know. Let's look at, if you're interested in that program, you're probably now interested in all the teams in that conference's program. So then that, that makes it even bigger. Also, use, use your club coach contacts. Use your director of coaching contacts. 
I think most coaches go into coaching not to make a million dollars. I think they go into it because they generally they love football. They love the game. And they also want to help kids. So literally right before we started this podcast, we had a young lady come in. Did not play very many minutes for me the last two years. But she gave me her whole heart and her whole soul the past two seasons. She's She hasn't missed a training session. She's been switched on. And she's like, hey, coach, will you go to bat for me on these four programs? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go to bat for you on these four programs. But what if these four programs don't work? Then what? She looks at me with a blank stare. I said, let's look at, if you're interested in these four programs, let's see who those four programs play. And then then let's start, you reach out to all those programs, and then let's see what happens. And I, I generally don't like doing a whole lot of heavy lifting for the kids until they get in contact with that university or that, that, that college. They'll, they, they make one contact to them, then I try to have my student-athletes then talk to me, and then I'm right on the phone that day communicating with that university. Hey, so-and-so is a great kid. So-and-so's got a great GPA. So-and-so, you know, this is, this is his or her flaws. This is her, his or her uh, weaknesses. This is their strengths. And I try to be upfront with the university and college so that they will continue to want to they will continue to want my kids in the future because they're gonna get an honest and fair assessment from me as the head coach. And but use your club coaches. They are generally very connected with college coaches and everything else. And if you don't have someone, then go seek someone out to try to mentor you. And if it costs you a little bit of money to do that, then if, if you have those opportunities, then go for it. Do that. Uh, you talked a little bit about um, having the players kind of take the initiative. What kind of mentality do you think uh, athletes should have in the recruiting process? Bulldog mentality. You have to, you have to, you have to freaking want this. It, you know, coaches aren't going to just line. I mean, there, I think there's very, very few players in each state that just have – you know, hundreds of coaches lined up to come meet with them. I mean, I could tell you, yeah, there's a select few at the Pac-12 level, you know, on the women's side or, or the WCC level or whatever else from my experiences. But even the top-end girls, they still have to recruit themselves. They still have to be recruiting the colleges, not just always the other way around, the colleges recruiting you. you got to be focused, and you have to treat this almost as if, you're developing a skill or developing a talent. You have to be consistent. You have to go every single day. That's what I always call the bulldog mentality. It's exactly why, you know, I don't feel like some of my players in the past maybe were the best talented players or the most talented players, but they showed so much grit and determination in the recruiting process and they, that got them the opportunity to come play for me, either at BYU-Hawaii or here at Salt Lake Community College, uh, Real Salt Lake Women, wherever I've been. It's sometimes the players that are very persistent and make themselves very available to the university and just show that bulldog mentality. Those are the ones that get the opportunity sometimes. Perfect. Once again, Coach, thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to... Uh, help these student-athletes reach their, their next goals. Um, and I just think anyone that has any questions, just let us know. Like, we 
want to take this podcast and, and really help all of you. And yeah, thanks. yeah, we want to take it to the next level. Please DM me uh, via Instagram, Coach Mark Davis eleven, or email Mark Davis at slcc.edu. And uh, we want to. We're here to try to help and build legacy, and that's why we do this podcast.